Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Joining us now is Professor Brian Lenehan, who's Chief Clinical Director of the UL Hospitals Group, which obviously includes University Hospital Limerick in uh, Dora Doyle. Um, good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Joe, and good morning to your listeners. Cork University Hospital, the Irish Examiner reports, is poised to trigger its emergency escalation plan. What's the position at, for example, UHL, which is uh, the main COVID uh, treating hospital uh, in our region? We would be in a similar position to Cork, um, Joe, in that we we manage through an escalation plan and we have been doing so since March and we have a variety of different levels um, of escalation. That would be why currently we're only um, undertaking time critical and urgent cancer surgery and only offering outpatient appointments to time critical and urgent um, cancer patients. So we've been in escalation for some time. And How we many levels on... in the escalation plan and where are you on it now? Um, so our, our, our formal plan has five levels of escalation, um, A to D, R to E, and currently we would be at what we would consider level D. Level D. So that's that's where we are, and that we're we've reduced scheduled care service, and our focus is on our emergency department, our critical care block, and our inpatient beds. Explain to a lay person like me why my day-to-day actions right now matter at the moment in somewhere like University Hospital Limerick. So, like COVID nineteen is a disease that's prevalent at high levels in the community. And it is the rate in the community that dictates the number of patients that will attend our emergency department, the number of patients that will need admission, and the number of patients that will need critical care, so ICU, HDU. The lower the numbers are in the community, the lower number of patients will need hospital care. So the primary focus for the entire country should be at a community level to reduce the transmission of this virus in workplaces, in the home, and indeed outside of the home. So the the solution to this isn't just the vaccination programme, which thankfully has been rolled out across the country. The solution to this is outside of the hospitals, in the community. And I would... You know, I would request all of your listeners to double their efforts to adhere to the national guidelines with regard to staying at home. Above all, stay at home. Now, people have been hearing about figures for a long time and, you know, people understandably can get a bit lost Mm -hmm. in them. So what would it mean for real Limerick patients if the hospital in Dora Doyle became overwhelmed? Well, if the hospital in Dora Doyle becomes overwhelmed, there's a risk that we won't be able to offer the highest standard of care to every patient that requires it. At the moment, we are coping with the levels that are there, but if transmission increases and the numbers continue to go up, we will have to reduce the amount of service that we offer we'll have to reduce the amount of surgery and outpatients that we can deliver. And inevitably, there would be delays in care. So if we can reduce the number of COVID-19 positive cases in the community, that will reduce the number of patients presenting to our emergency department. 
and then that will leave capacity for urgent care for non-COVID patients. What we have to remember is COVID patients with COVID-19 are only a proportion of the patients that present to our emergency department every day. We still have patients acutely unwell from other conditions, patients that have heart attacks, that have strokes, that are involved in road traffic accidents. We have to be able to deliver care to these patients. So the more patients that present with COVID-19, which is directly related to the transmission in the community, the more pressure there is on us as a hospital to deliver care to the other patients that present to the hospital. We're talking to Professor Brian Lenehan, who's Chief Clinical Director of the UL Hospitals uh, Group. How many ICU beds are occupied today? Uh, how many do you have available to you? So in our, we're fortunate in our hospital that we have a modern um, uh, critical care block that has 12 ICU beds and 16 high dependency unit beds. At the moment, 11 of our 12 ICU beds are occupied and nine of our 16 HDU beds. So we have capacity, but that capacity could be very quickly used up if the numbers continue to increase in the community. And, and just explain that to me. So you have one available ICU bed. So, yes, there's, it, so there's one available ICU right. bed. So if that ICU bed needs to be used today, what happens to the next person who needs an ICU bed? So, so then we move into what we call surge, and then we would convert some of our HDU beds into two ICU beds, and we would manage... And so the reality is that that's going to happen very, very soon. There's a possibility that if things don't turn around in the community, that that may happen very soon. But if you've only one ICU bed left available to you, it's inevitable. I mean, there's no way that the figures are going to change quickly enough to stop that. You'll have patients moving in and out, out of ICU on a daily basis, Joe. You'll have patients that will no longer require ICU care that will go to HDU and patients that no longer require HDU care that will go back to the wards. But we have a robust surge plan in place to deal with what presents to our hospital. Dr Catherine Motherway said to us during the week that the difficulty they have with the escalation plan, which is there, and you know she was very clear about that, is that it requires staffing. And she said that at a certain point, they can't provide the level of intensive care that they normally can, even within an escalation plan. Yes, and we haven't reached that point. But what Catherine says is true. If we become overwhelmed, that will be true. I have to say, Brian, it doesn't sound like you're a million miles from being overwhelmed based on the figures you're giving us. I, I, I could un- understand that view, and, and you are correct. Um, but we, of a, of a normal working day, you would have a significant proportion of your ICU and HDU beds occupied, notwithstanding COVID. That would be one of our biggest concerns, that if we do become overwhelmed, that we will have to surge, and the more we surge the more staff it requires. And as Catherine rightly said, the more you're in surge, that you can't ensure that you know, optimal care to everybody. So our, you know, our goal is to avoid that surge. And that's why I keep coming back to the requirement for a community response to this virus to decrease the numbers. And that then will decrease the likelihood of us going into an ICU surge. And what about places like the University of Limerick, the UL arena that uh, was used for a a period? Um, uh, What about private care facilities? Uh, Are they being looked at right now? 
So there, there is a plan that is at the final stages, I believe, between the government, the Department of Health and indeed the private hospitals to make some capacity within the private hospitals available. That, that won't be the panacea to the, the volume we have here in Limerick because we don't have a large um, private hospital that has um, ICU or HDU capacity. Um, but it is, it is part and parcel of the plan nationally. Mm. What about the UL Arena facility? So we stood down the UL Arena um, facility earlier on in the year. If we were to require to surge again, it's something that may have to be looked at. But we have other um, inpatient uh, surge options, which include some of our five-day services, like our surgical day awards in Nina, Ennis, Johns, and indeed... Um, yeah, Nina Ennis Johns and indeed Croom Orthopaedic Hospital and the potential to staff them on a 24-7 basis. But those hospitals, and correct me if I'm wrong, are not the COVID handling hospitals for uh, the Limerick region. No, no the, the initial COVID handling hospital would be University Hospital Limerick. The, our Model 2 hospitals, Nina Ennis Johns and indeed Croom, um, they would be for transfer of patients who don't require COVID care or even transfer of patients who are post-COVID. How worried are you about um, all of those procedures that you've had to cancel? You know, people hear about planned surgeries, for example, and sometimes assume that they're not urgent, but they can be urgent, but they're maybe not quite as urgent as the COVID-19 crisis. It is very regrettable that we've had to cancel any planned surgery, particular, particularly patients who were awaiting urgent um, surgery. And we're going to do everything we can to maintain a level of urgent and time-critical cancer surgery. But it's the third time this year due to COVID that we've had to defer surgery. And that's very regrettable and it causes a lot of concern and stress um, to the patients that have been awaiting their surgery. Professor Brian Lennon is Chief Clinical Director of UL Hospitals Group and we're talking to him at the moment. How many staff have you out at the moment? At the moment, Joe, we have in the region of 400 staff members on COVID leave. Now that is across the whole group, all six hospitals and all grades and disciplines, not just medical and nursing staff. Of a total? Of a total of close on 5,000. 400? Yeah, so less than 10%. But still 400 people. But still, but still 400, the majority of whom would be COVID contacts. Um, and that is of concern to us. Um, but and when you say across all grades, um, how many in the f- so-called frontline grades that you would need to deal uh, specifically with COVID issues? The, the last report I saw, Joe, and I, 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 stand, I might stand corrected because I see a further report today, there were approximately um, 100 um, nurses and there were 14 doctors. So 114 of the 400 who are out are very much on the front line. Would be patient-facing, yes. How many staff... Um, and frontline workers uh, have been vaccinated at this stage. I know the rollout started on Monday. So, so by close of business on Friday, we will have over we'll have two thousand and fifty-seven staff vaccinated. Again, and is that of the four thousand we talked about? That's of the near five thousand. Near five thousand. But okay. the, the, the primary focus initially is those frontline, front-facing staff 
So we would have, out of our staff, we would have a proportion that are administrative staff that don't have much in the way of patient contact. So the focus is on the frontline staff. So we've 2,057 will be vaccinated by close of business on Saturday. Have all staff who've been offered the vaccine taken it up? I, I haven't... The, I haven't heard any narrative of people not taking up the vaccine. In fact, the vast majority that you meet are delighted and it's that... It's but that but surely you'd know now, you're the chief clinical officer. So at, at the moment, I'm not aware of people that have declined their vaccination. Well, what does that mean, declined? What have they so, said? So refused, I'm not aware of anybody that has refused the vaccination. The way it works... So everybody who's been offered the vaccination as part of the rollout that started on Monday has taken it? I can't tell you that for sure, but I can tell why, you... Why can't you tell me? Because I don't know if somebody didn't turn up yesterday because they had other clinical activities at their assigned appointment. You're still trying to run a busy hospital and roll out a vaccination programme. Well, well, well no, no, to be fair, no, the, vac- the vaccine is pretty important, isn't it? For not only the individual concerned, but for maintaining the hospital and you're talking about the sacrifices that you want the rest of us to make, which we all get. So the, the number of 2,057 will exceed the number we had predicted for week one. And I think it is a... It's a yeah, that's not quite the question I'm asking you, though, Brian. What I'm asking you is, is there people or are there people who have been offered it who haven't taken it for one reason or another? I don't have the figures on that, Joe. Um, how effective is the first vaccination of so the two? You're only partially immunised after the first vaccine. You require the second vaccine and the second vaccine is... It was, suggested to, me that you, that you're, it was suggested to me that you're up to 90% protected by the first vaccine. Is that true or not? That, that's true. And you, you require the second vaccine then. It's like, it's like a booster. And then a week after that, you have your maximum immunisation, your maximum um, your vaccination effect. Right. Um, so the COVID hub by the way, and I know it's not your specific area, but the COVID hub that GPs were running, in other parts of the country, it's back up and running. We had one here. Do we have one up and running in Limerick, considering how serious the situation is? At this moment in time, I believe we do not. It's a, that's something that is a matter for, the, for CHO3, for the community. It's not something that the acute hospital has governance over. Would you welcome it as soon as possible? I certainly would welcome it, and I know the GPs in the region would also welcome it. And in terms then of the vaccine rollout more generally, um, obviously it's going to require pharmacists and GPs and others, and we're hearing, understandably, that a lot of those people at the moment are, in order to protect themselves and to protect the health services they provide, not seeing people face-to-face during this crisis. So it means that it's inevitably going to delay the vaccine rollout. So the, the plan for the vaccine rollout, and there's a, there are many both national and local steering committees on this, is for once the majority of the frontline staff within the acute hospitals are vaccinated, that then the vaccine will be rolled out to the community and indeed to um, primary care. Finally, and I think this is a critical question uh, to ask you in the context of the sacrifices that all of our listeners are being asked to make, and they are immense sacrifices. Immense. They should not be taken for granted. Obviously what you guys are doing on the front line is at a different level again but what people are being asked to do again in the heart of winter is an enormous sacrifice and a huge um, uh, strain on them. Um, How close are people like Catherine Motherway who we spoke to during the week to having to make what are in 
in essence, life or death decisions as to who gets an ICU bed and who will not be able to get an ICU bed, who otherwise would have got one and may well have survived? It's difficult to answer that, Joe. That's something that will happen if the health service becomes overwhelmed. And as I've said a number of times, the only way that situation is going to be averted is if we see a reduction in numbers in the community. And I fully understand that everybody and all of your listeners are making huge sacrifices. But it is those sacrifices that are going um, to sustain us through this. Those sacrifices are the first line of defence in the battle against COVID-19. The hospital and the ICU, that is the last line of defence. And we do not want to see that service overrun. Let me be absolutely blunt about this, because the reality is the decisions that people are making right now this minute and will make over the weekend will feed into what's going to happen in the coming weeks. Are we less than a week away from decisions like that in Limerick based on the numbers that we're seeing in the community of COVID-19 positive cases? We're we're possibly um, there, but the predictions are that this surge may not peak until the 29th of January, which is a long way away. And I would hope that before then we can turn this around. You have you will have heard the minister and the and Tony Houlihan and his colleagues saying that there is some small evidence that we may be plateauing. And what I do hope is that we do plateau and that we do see a reduction in numbers between now and the end of the month. Right. You sound understandably worried. Oh, I, I, it would be wrong of me to say I, I'm not worried, but we do have a plan in place. We are working hard with all of the healthcare partners, public health and the community across the Midwest, but it, it, is, it is your listeners. They are the ones that will turn this around. All right. Best of luck to you and to your colleagues. Thank you very much much, for talking to us. That's Professor Brian Lenehan, Chief Clinical Director of the UL Hospitals Group. Call Limerick today now on 461995.